Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey guys, um, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. I am here today in the studio with Dan Stoller, the senior senior legal editor at Bloomberg Law. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in today. I'm also here with Georgia, our producer. She may chime in here with a few thoughts of her own. So, Dan, we're so excited to have you on the show today. We want to learn more about your background, Bloomberg Law background, just everything um, that goes into your B, everything you're covering and some interesting topics that you're covering this year. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. Um, so you have a legal background, graduated from Penn State Law. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what got you into journalism and sort of how you came to be here? Yeah, it was um, some of a roundabout way to get into journalism. Um, obviously, as you just said, went to law school, mm-hmm. um, had dreams of being a lawyer, then that I guess right after law school, looking for a job wasn't the best market, so just kept looking around and got a um, recruitment from Bloomberg to work on their product side. So mm-hmm. I was working on the Bloomberg Law product for a while. At, at law school, I had been um, on the, uh, at Penn State, I was in law review. Okay. Um, so from there, um, I had some of a writing background. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my buddies was working on the privacy desk that had an opening decide to apply and then from there it was a little bit of a learning curve to start out sure um, but there's I mean from the lawyer side you do a lot of writing in the first place mm-hmm. so that wasn't hard to learn it was learning everything about privacy and that took time but with time I had great mentors great people along the way that got me to where mm-hmm. I am now were you naturally interested in privacy or just sort of evolved that way or I had somewhat of a tech type personality okay. um, so I've always been interested in the uh, technology side of things, playing mm-hmm. around with different gadgets. So um, it, it's a little bit different than just the tech law side of things. But um, once I was covering it, once I got more into it, I've gotten pretty into it um, to the point where I'm like telling my parents what to do on certain things or how telling friends that they shouldn't be posting certain right. things on certain <laughs> websites. It's it's a nice skill set to have now. But I say so. It was, it was interesting getting into it. I mean, I'm love where I am now or I'm covering it. Yeah, I know we'll jump into this a bit later, but it's certainly relevant um, in today's day and age and the new cycle around everything to do with privacy. So um, can you also explain to our listeners um, some of Bloomberg Law's focus and um, the relationship with Bloomberg LP? Yeah, so um, Bloomberg Law started as uh, BNA, and that had been around um, for plenty of years covering labor, tax, a whole group of uh, different uh, industry areas. But as that grew and grew, we decided as a company that it needed to get bigger and cover more areas. So that's when Bloomberg LP stepped in. They bought us from our wholly owned subsidiary of LP. Um, so we provide their legal content, um, a whole suite of legal offerings as well, the Bloomberg Law product, but also um, on the Hill, a lot of people use Bloomberg Government as yeah. well, which mm-hmm. is part of the whole Bloomberg BNA um, package, sure. as, uh, corporate structure as well. Um, Bloomberg Tax and Bloomberg Environment. So we provide the legal analysis. They give us uh, more of the spot news, which you would think mm-hmm. of like the Washington Post of the world. Yeah, They're doing okay. the, the Bloomberg news of that. 
um, and we're giving them legal uh, stories. So our stories will show up on the terminal, Bloomberg Government, Bloomberg Law, um, once in a while Bloomberg News. So it's it's a it's a nice um, corporate relationship we have with them, and then at the same time, it's a nice collaborative environment mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, you can really um, cover a broad landscape of different stories. So, just where does the cybersecurity uh, coverage fit into that? Yeah, so a lot of that. Um, so our the publication I specifically write for is privacy and data security. Okay. Um, so within that, it's um, I mean privacy, data security. From that is cybersecurity as well. Yeah. Um, you can add in a whole slew of other mm -hmm. uh, topic areas, but that's where most of our coverage on cybersecurity will end up. But mm -hmm. since cybersecurity is in let's say, pretty much every industry now, um, a lot of our other publications will pick it up and run the various stories. Um, let's say an energy story will show mm -hmm. up on our environment page, um, but yeah. also show up in our privacy data security covering. So it's a lot of working together with a bunch of different people trying to get mm -hmm. um, what, what the topic is of that um, story and kind of collaboratively working between desks. Okay, so when you're writing, um, how do you personally narrow your focus and what is the most interesting uh, to you? Um, that's a tough question. <laughs> uh, a lot of it's, I mean, working with the managing editor, I know that sounds a little cliche, but um, like when tackling a legal case, mm -hmm. I mean, I can pretty much read through them and kind of figure out what the issue is, where I need to go, um, what's coming ahead, what's next. Um, but on the larger enterprise stories, when we need, we're adding data, working with um, bigger ideas, stuff that need, that'll take a couple months. A lot of that is working with the enemies, working with other people and trying to figure out where, where, where we can add in more than just, okay, this is what happened. Where's their legal analysis? Where's the mm -hmm. forward-looking element? Um, where can we give that Bloomberg little angle to something? Yeah. And that's where focusing on, like the GDPR, for example, yeah, everybody's seen that it's becoming a thing or Hopefully, a lot of companies do at least. Hopefully, uh, right about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we a couple of weeks away, but that's one area where it's. I mean, we we could write a story on the GDPR, but there's about fifty other angles we can go into. So we try to silo those, pinpoint them, and try to get them out so our readers and law firms and corporations can rely on. So it's just keeping your audience in mind as you're covering these big topics, because oh, yeah. you could go so many different directions. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into some of the um, the biggest privacy privacy issues right now. Um, of course, everyone has been talking about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, we were just looking into some um, of the results out of the F8 conference uh, that happened recently, and I know that the WhatsApp co-founder just stepped down from the board last week. So give us your take on that whole situation like you know narrow down and what what kind of is the most shocking or surprising to you and um, what do you see coming out of it right now so I, maybe it's because I've been covering it for the <laughs> last couple of years it's I was shocked that everybody was so shocked okay that what these companies were doing but if you're not reading privacy policies or covering privacy issues all day you may not know what people are doing with your data and that's maybe the one big takeaway is you need to know what people are doing with your data even if you're a company, even if you're uh, any like any just individual needs to know what's going on. Uh -huh. So, I mean, these companies are coming out and saying, "Hey, here's now what we're doing with our data. We're trying to be more transparent." So, coming going forward, um, I don't think there's going to be massive upheavals in U.S. law. But these companies, because of consumer awareness of privacy issues, will now know going forward these are some areas that okay, we have mm -hmm. to at least provide these protections for our users or we got to be more trans transparent about what we're doing with the data. 
um, be it ad revenue based or be it even mm -hmm. just saying, hey, we're gonna share your data with this company and we're doing it because of these reasons. I mean, that goes a long way with a lot of people. And legally, that'll go a long way as well. Sure, it, are these um, updates coming from, you know, the updated privacy terms and conditions that companies are sending out now and um, things that, you know, people are just clicking, clicking accept on and, you know, Facebook's announcements about it, is, is that part of it? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, with a lot of the privacy policies, the, the companies are changing them, and um, not to keep hanging back to the GDPR, a lot of them are changing it because of that, um, but to be more transparent in today's world, they're adding more, like, language to saying, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna share it with these companies, we're gonna try to get your consent now to further share it, which they were doing in the past, but mm -hmm. being more open where, let's say you were clicking on a link to, you're on the social media website clicking on a link for some sort of, um, let's say, ad or any other type of mm -hmm. um, uh, a product you're looking for yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, the various types of things, you get that out. And I mean, th those are some of the things consumers will want to know. And then going forward, yeah. things that within the company will start laying out. Okay. But, do, but don't you think that they're still so complex, the language that they're using and the volume of it? I mean, we hear, I've been hearing about simplifying terms and conditions and, you know, how people, how consumers are understanding these privacy conditions, but realistically, can you really bullet down to like one, two, three snapshots, what exactly the privacy terms of a Facebook, a Google, a, you know, whichever one of these big guys, or the simple, do you mm -hmm. think it's realistic based on your experience? Realistic? No. Um, I mean, there's enough legal, legalistic, uh, protections in these, there's enough, let's say, yeah, I mean, there's enough legal protections, there's enough lawyering going on at these privacy policies that there needs to be some language. You're not, mm -hmm. like, when you're buying a car, buying anything else, you're not getting a one-page contract. No, you're getting, like, 40 pages of it. <laughs> yeah, and, there, and there's reasons for that. I mean, yeah. as much as the consumer needs to be protected, these companies need to be protected, their investors want to be protected. So there are things that they're doing mm -hmm. uh, to protect themselves. But, yeah, I, I think there needs to be some sort of easing of, privacy policies at least hmm. or there, there could be the more intense consumer focused one and then a more legalistic one but at least a a way when you're clicking into these things it's at least showing on a basic level here's what you're consenting to mm -hmm. but then you could always read for more about everything they're doing because you can't write out everything a company is doing yeah. with all forms of data every time because mm -hmm. then you'll you'll end up with a 50 page bullet point list <laughs> and that's just as just as bad that's as as, bad. A, yeah. a like an essay length contract which I, I, not that I love reading, but we, we, we definitely did that. <laughs> you know, you said something interesting. You said um, you were shocked, you were most shocked with the fact that everyone was shocked, right? But you're a, a privacy expert. Yep. One thing, I think I saw it on Twitter, someone said, well, coming out of the Zuckerberg testimony, um, that we have a 20th century Congress um, questioning a 21st century company, mm -hmm. uh, century company. Um, do you think, do you think our, our um, lawmakers and legislators have a clear understanding of you know what these companies are actually doing with data? I'd like to think their staffs do, um, to the extent that most um, politicians, and you could see that through their questions, that they weren't on top of every single issue and on top yeah. of every single um, like policy area. But I mean, I, I feel like that's with most issues that their staffs on top of it that they're hiring cybersecurity privacy staff. Not everyone is doing that, and that's something, um, I mean, people have been telling me for a while that 
yeah, a lot of these people, they're pushing for these things without having the cybersecurity experts on their staff right. or the mm-hmm. privacy experts on their staff. So not really knowing the questions they're asking, but I think <clears throat> pushing out and getting the ideas across and asking, just asking the questions or just asking any CEO of any social media site what's going on, and I think that's something. But getting to that next level of if and if we do need more regulation in that space, I think there needs to be something more for them to take it there. Because what we see now is that there just isn't that push for it. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a bunch of talk, but there's beyond the noise, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. activity going on. Yeah, I know that was, it was interesting coming out of the um, the testimony and everything. A lot of the headlines were talking about like the questions being a little more elementary than they should have been, and that, that kind of stole the show in, in some, some cases. Um, as opposed to the actual testimony itself, which was, it's interesting, you know, understanding the current state of of privacy and technology. So many people are already talking about um, Google perhaps being in the same boat as Facebook. Um, Do you think big companies are starting to learn from this? Or or should we meet back up in six months to talk about, you know, the biggest (laughs) data breach? Um, Well, I mean, in six months there probably will be another big data breach. We're talking about that anyway. but yeah, I mean, these companies, I, I, we've heard from lawmakers that, I mean, not just Google, all the other social media companies, we, Twitter, for Twitter, example. Twitter, Snapchat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, any of those companies, there's been more calls for them to go before Congress and answer yeah. similar questions. Um, and I mean, maybe that's what Congress, some of these hearings are used for. Mm-hmm. Let their constituents know this is what's going on, and that's great. Um, but for that next step, um, like beyond just putting out your press release from your um, congressman saying, hey, here's the questions I asked. There hasn't been a lot of, like, all right, hey, companies, Google, Facebooks, Twitters of the world, we need you to now do this, or we need more regulation in this space. Not that I'm saying we need, or don't need regulation, but if that is the problem and that is the solution, there isn't that connection between the two. Um, but we, I guess we've yet to see if that it would be the solution. I mean, going forward, we've, we haven't had um, robust privacy protections in the U.S. Right. I mean, they're, they're, you could say the FTC does a lot. You could say um, state AGs do a lot. But on the federal level, there just isn't that background in it. So getting that next level, um, if that's ever going to happen, is going to be a challenge. Yeah. Both the tech side and congressional side of reaching what that is. Because it's, at least in the U.S., it's not mm-hmm. the easiest path. So it sounds like it's not that the, the big tech companies are going to proactively become kind of more socially conscious and aware of what consumers are asking for as much as uh, to be PR ready they're going to have to comply with you know the, the, the new landscape yeah part of it is their PR front of putting out um, yeah reacting to a data breach I mean that's mm-hmm. part of their general privacy and data breach plans in the first place yeah. so they're going to be ready to go and you could say today that these companies are already prepared um, some call it an apology tour but it's it's just PRing, getting out there and changing the narrative on their end and trying to tell us what their narrative is and obviously that's where we come in Mm -hmm. and try to just um, try to weed out that noise but yeah yeah, there's just a lot of that we want to do this here's what we're doing but is that enough or is that what consumers want in the first place Mm -hmm. and that's that's the big question is we're trying to get at Let's talk about the next state of privacy. So I know we're a few days away from GDPR coming into effect in Europe. 
Um, can you just break down what this means um, for our listeners who may not know exactly and kind of what it means for our data across the board? Not everyone's a chief privacy officer. No, not yet. <laughs> yeah, so the GDPR, the uh, General Data Protection Regulation, um, it is an EU-wide law um, that each country has to implement. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they have to hit all these data points, but it's, there's going to be slight changes in each country, but it's generally going to be the same ends up being a regulation mm -hmm. um, and not a directive in the EU. Um, but going on in that, it's, it's going to add a lot more transparency, consent provisions, um, quicker data breach notification, mm -hmm. as we've already seen in the uh, EU. Because uh, the EU for a while has had this um, directive for each member state to pretty much create their own privacy laws. So it's been disparate across the whole EU. So each, each state has had their issues of all right, in this country it's this, in this country it's that, EU-wide it's this. Um, so that's where the, G okay. the GDPR came into play to harmonize all that. Um, but with that, they've also increased data protection um, requirements as the 72-hour data breach notification mm -hmm. requirement, which is a lot different than the U.S. one and a lot of rest throughout the world. Mm -hmm. um, so what is the U.S. one? Uh, the U.S. one is, I mean, there's 50 states that each have different... Okay. Um, different uh, notification windows. Some are 45 days, some are 60. But not 72 hours. No, no none, none, are, none are getting at 72 hours. Sure. Um, yes. I mean, there, there could be a new one that can't, that's coming out now that's 72 yeah. hours, but generally it's either a some phrase of reasonableness or it's a 60, 45 days, unless you're working with law mm -hmm. enforcement, which EU still has exceptions, but it's a strict like 72 hours, sure. which, I mean, is that pretty fast to let a regulator and consumers know? I would say so, but that's what they're getting at. It's like you need to be ready for these events, not wait the 30 days that yeah. we've seen with companies here. But they're just following the laws. And then if that do, if they do not notify within 72 hours, what happens? So there's different levels of fines. So you could get the 2% of your uh, worldwide revenue, which is a lot. Um, and then you could, It can be a lot. Yeah, it could yeah. actually go up to 4%, $20 million. Um, there's a lesser $10 million threshold. So, I mean, $20 million for a large company isn't going to be... I mean, it's a lot of money when we're just talking about $20 million, but yeah, for these massive multi-billion dollar companies, sure. that could be a drop in the bucket. But that's where the 4% of the revenue comes in. I mean, 4% of a $20 billion company is a whole heck of a lot more than the $20 million, I would think. Is that math right? <laughs> no, I think Please edit that the math is wrong. Let's say that's a, yeah. yeah, so it's a heck of a lot more than, than, than the $20 million. Um, but, I mean, with that, it's putting a lot more stress on a lot of people, a lot of people just calling... Um, attorneys that we've been talking to, what do I need to do? What are, okay. the, what are some things I just need to do? I'm freaking out. And a lot of it is, are you even covered? There's a lot of people freaking out that have nothing to do with the GDPR, mm -hmm. won't, even, won't even be covered by the GDPR. Mm -hmm. okay. But they see everything going on um, with all these other companies and they think, okay, this is impacting everybody, but it's only impacting a certain subset of companies. Sure. Do you think that even though this doesn't apply to, the, to U.S. companies based in U.S., that they're gonna kind of up their standards and model their um, their privacy um, regulations off of GDPR. Yeah. So uh, since most large companies are operating in a multinational world now, mm -hmm. um, a lot of them are going to be processing, collecting, using EU data subjects, which is the legal word of EU citizens data mm -hmm. um, data. But so yeah, a lot of them are going to have to model it, and because of that, a lot of their vendors will have to model it as well. Um, so down the supply chain, a lot of these little companies that want to work with the big companies of the world who then want to be on the EU digital single market and pretty much work in this economy, um, they're going to have to meet the standards of their larger companies. But the small mom and pop shops of the world, small businesses that just do U.S. data, 
do they have to change? Probably not, mm -hmm. at least for the GDPR, but it's probably a good thing to always update it and be ahead of things. You don't want to be that one company that falls behind and then hit with a data breach and you lose your consumer trust or your partner's trust or yeah. the whole supply chain's trust because you're the one weak link that affects everybody else. It's setting a new standard generally for yeah. how people view privacy. So even if it doesn't pertain to you, you are still uh, susceptible to the same um, scrutiny at, from any consumer because it's not the consumer's responsibility to know, you know, how you have to keep your data in order or not. Yeah, and that's and that's pretty much what the GDPR is getting at. It's the consumers. It's pretty much a consumer's right to this data. So, for the right to erasure in certain situations, you can delete data um, off like search links or the uh, right to data portability. You can move your data from one service to another without having to supposed to not having to jump through loopholes. Um, in the U.S., we can't just move all of our data set from Microsoft to a different company. Nothing wrong with Microsoft, but just, <laughs> for example, Microsoft to a different company yeah. without having to go through all these different processes, or if they even allow it. Mm -hmm. Do you expect there to be a lot of, you know, headlines or, you know, um, any sort of fallout following the GDPR going into effect, like, right away? Like, do you think that that's going to take up a big part of the news? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we've seen, I mean, we've already seen it already, people asking um, what's coming on, what's coming forward. Now yeah. when we hit that May 50, 25th deadline, I mean, there's no uh, period that they can kind of adjust to it. It's May 25th, enforcement and starts if you're not ready. Mm -hmm. Now, will they come out that day with a big enforcement action against whatever company? Not sure. Um, there may They may have to kind of see, because there's a lot of gaps and guidance that needs to get there okay. for them to go after everything. but. Um, speaking with some of the EU data protection officials, um, and Andrea Jelinek, who's the head of, um, is leading the Article 29 Working Party of its collection data protection officials, um, they, as she said they're going to be going after transparency issues first. Okay. Um, and that's a lot in the privacy policies, the um, just being open with your consumers. So okay. if you're a con company that's using a lot of consumer data, I'd focus on that first. And that's what we'll probably see headline-wise. But somebody that turns in their data breach notification 73 hours. Yeah, okay. They're not gonna go crazy on that right away. So it's almost like the first part of the process is transparency, like letting people know, hey, we're collecting your data, this is what we're doing with it, just being open with people, open with consumers. Yeah, and that's why we've probably seen a lot of changes in privacy policies. Yeah. I mean, that's probably driven partially because of the uh, Facebook issues that have been going on, but a lot of that's also driven by the GDPR changes. Mm -hmm. So do you think down the road there's gonna be US regulation that's similar to GDPR? I would US GDPR. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> down the road, I wouldn't expect in the next couple of years. No. Yeah, I, I would say, if anything, it would take time. We and even uh, senators today have said we want to see how the GDPR plays out. How's sure. that going to look? Um, is this something that we can even do? And even given US policy today, that's not something that's just, just happens overnight. Um, no. You yeah. could we could pick apart the political side, but even on the legal side. Um, there just isn't that call for regulation in this space that has been mm -hmm. um, in the EU for a while. So, yeah, there, there could be this push, and even if it's pushed by a certain party over the other, that's still going to take some time. So maybe not the two, two years, five years, yeah, if there's enough consumer pushes, we see more data breaches, companies do certain things that cause more consumer uprising, mm -hmm. um, which we can kind of see in California. There's a ballot initiative there, um, and it's not as strong as the GDPR, but it's a California-wide data protection bill. Mm -hmm. um, 
Facebook has dropped their uh, opposition to it. Verizon dropped their opposition to it. So there's a lot more. Um, there's maybe there's at least room for sectoral or state specific laws first, and that's yeah. that's how we've kind of seen it with data regionification as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one that's one area or one. Okay, um, so that state is kind of leading that charge. What does that bill consist of in California? Um, a lot of it, it's it has like consent models, like various data protection levels you have to hit not okay. not as prescriptive as you need to hit x y and z mm -hmm. but it's like reasonable standards um not not a consumer bill of rights but it gives a lot of similar gdpr protections not not the right to be forgotten but more of a broad okay. data protection bill that we just haven't seen across the u.s we'll have to watch that one what is the most concerning privacy issue today in your opinion um i would i mean i, I think it's the consumers not knowing and giving their consent to things okay um and then the some of the f feedback afterwards and when these issues come to a head it's like wow i didn't know this so i mean whose responsibility is it to educate them it should be a whole mass of people so i would say it, it, it falls on us to educate people uh -huh. um which is i mean us as in the media yeah us as yeah. the media educating people like about what's going on what are these companies doing sure both negatively and positively if they're doing something great we should be jumping on that to tell people they're doing something great i mean we don't do a lot of product pitches or product pushes but when there's like a, something in the law and a company's doing something that's pushing a certain bill mm -hmm. and it's something positive yeah we'll get plenty of people to say it's positive mm -hmm. now if we look kind of into the future um yeah, consumers are going to get more fed up when there's more high-profile data breaches. More headlines are like 20 billion. There's not that many people in the world, but <laughs> let's say 2 billion users of any sort of product is out there or your social security number, yeah. your credit card details. Well, um, you know, the credit bureaus, that was huge um, yep. last September. You know, that kind of stuff gives is a wake-up call to people. And the interesting thing with that is the other uh, credit bureaus have actually had data breaches in the past, mm -hmm. but nobody, I, at least at the time, there were like short headlines. Um, one of the bureaus breached for 15 million, okay. but you didn't see as much pushback from that. Mm -hmm. Now we get to what, 300 and something, something crazy. 145 yeah. maybe. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so many different breaches today. There's so many different yeah. numbers. Well, let's say it's the 145 or 100 million. I mean, the, yeah, once it gets to that number and they're all social security numbers, people start to get a little bit more oh, concerned. Yeah. So with that, that's what will get the lawmakers more involved and uh -huh. with that companies will start to change because with, without like pressure from somewhere nothing's going to happen mm -hmm. so either has to be the money or the consumers getting involved or companies losing users and clients because they haven't lived up to consumer expectations mm -hmm. do you think we'll we'll see a day and age where um schools that you know the acad academic landscape is educating students on privacy like a privacy class of some sort? Some have. Um, there, there's some schools that kind of do a K through 12 um, privacy and cybersecurity education. Now it's not robust, it's not every school or yeah. I'd even say statewide pushes in most states, but the, I mean there are there are some institutions that are pushing um, like privacy and cyber education from the get-go. Yeah, and it's a good idea. And, and it gets these kids, I mean, yeah. it, 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 yeah. and, and yeah. it'll help fill like the workforce gap going forward. There's plenty of issues with that. Um, it just gets people knowledgeable about a big part of our environment. That, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we learn about plants and trees at a young age. Why not learn about privacy and tech? Well, as well? I feel like we have to, yeah, nowadays. Um, 
Well, Dan, this has been fascinating. Uh, it really has been. This is a really compelling conversation. So I have one more question to ask you. So outside of GDPR and Facebook, what um, maybe is another like top story that you think is going to um, emerge in 2018? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say harmonization. And it isn't maybe the sexiest question or answer, but the harmonization of all these like international laws coming into force okay. for me because at least because I mean China has a cybersecurity law now and Russia is getting more involved at least international stage Iran North Korea I mean all these nation states we see as adversaries are getting involved in more digital economies so they're getting their hands delved into let's say cryptocurrencies getting uh-huh. into other forced tech transfers data localization provisions um, I mean which forces people to keep their data in the nation but like these things are becoming more of a um, socio-economical and also national security concern. Mm-hmm. So right. how privacy and cybersecurity becomes more of a uh, national security issue, I think is, which does affect companies at the end of the day. I mean, that's something that I've always been interested in, but I think that's something you will see more and more of going forward. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming in our studio today. It was great having you. Um, For everyone listening, please stay tuned for um, our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at at Media Mind Show or online at W2Com.com. Thanks.